Good morning. I'm glad everyone made it through the snow this week. Hope you enjoyed this week. Just uh, just a reminder that God is in control, and uh, throughout this week, He has watched over us, and we're just so glad that we can be back together. Glad you can be here this morning. want to welcome you, and just as we begin our service, I have two quick announcements I need to make for Justin. Um, just to let you know, this summer, it will be here soon, and uh, summer camp at Fort Caswell is going to be June 13th through the 18th for middle school and high school. And he needs you to sign up by February the 6th. And for the first 20 students to sign up, there is a financial discount. So if you would see Justin to sign up um, for summer camp. And then also this Wednesday, we're going to have a meeting at 6 p.m. Justin wants to meet with those who'd be willing to serve or wanting to serve in Awana. We'd like to get Awana going again. Um, but through this COVID climate, it's been a challenge. And if you're willing to serve, we'd be like to be a part of that and even modifying our Awana schedule. We're going to meet Wednesday night, 6 p.m. in the fellowship hall to talk about that so we'd love for you to be a part of that and if you're not serving somewhere and would like to be involved in that it would be a great place to serve 
Right now, I'm going to ask you to stand. As you stand, if you're visiting with us, we encourage you to fill out a guest card and drop by our guest table in the lobby. Fill that out, and you can drop it in the plate or leave it at the table. Take a minute and say hello to one another without shaking hands, however you want to do that. And welcome one another to the service. to come to the stage and their little son Tucker you guys will just come over here to this side I really appreciate Drew and Alyssa uh, and their faithfulness these tales of Baptist Church if you guys will just come over here thank you guys so much if you'll show everybody Tucker he's growing up isn't he this little fella's growing up really quick and uh, before uh, we go into the vows, this is a covenant that you're going to be making with the church and with your son this morning with each other, and also the church will be making the covenant as best we can. The most important thing in uh, little Tucker's life is going to be his salvation. This dedication service does not save this young man, but we're making a covenant uh, as a church to help him come to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and Drew and Alyssa will do that as well. Once again, I want to tell you both I'm honored to be your pastor. I appreciate you both and love you both. The Bible says this in Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I'm going to ask you the, uh, this question that I ask everyone during this dedication service, but it's so important because you're going to make a covenant with each other, with your son and with the Lord this morning, before the church and everybody online. And, uh, and, and in saying that, in presenting Tucker to the Lord, do you promise, promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring Tucker up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of our Lord? And we, we, we share this every time we have a dedication service. Tucker says, will you please preach? <laughs> we ask the church uh, to be a part of this covenant as well. Of course, many of you will have him in extended session. I want to hopefully when that starts back up. Student ministry, Sunday school, all the way up. And uh, I would like to ask you a question as well. Congregation, do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for Tucker by giving of your time, talent, and resources to help him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for Drew and Alyssa as they seek to raise Tucker in the fear and admonition of the Lord? We do. Thank you so much. We have several things we want to give you today. Uh, we have a, a certificate of this day. We also have a Bible, and that's for Tucker. We have the Lamb's Book, and this is a letter that I've written just for Tucker. And he opens that letter on the day that he is born again, okay? So that's what we're going to pray for right now. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for Drew and Alyssa. I love them both. Lord, to watch, Lord, I was honored to officiate their wedding ceremony here. I'm honored to dedicate their child. And Lord, I pray that at a young age, I'll be able to baptize little Tucker. Lord, we're praying for his salvation. Lord, we know that you have a great plan and purpose for his life. And that purpose is, is number one, to be born again. And number two, Bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus and use him for your honor and your glory. Bless Drew and Alyssa as they seek to raise their child. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you, guys. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you so much. This morning and worship with us.
Amen. As we come to this time of prayer, we're going to show you a video here in just a moment. As you know, each month uh, in your bulletin, we'll spotlight a ministry or a mission that we support. And this month is Sanctity of Human Life. Uh, this has been designated, this day is basically Sanctity of Human Life Day, excuse me. This month is Sanctity of Human Life Month through the Southern Baptist Convention. And we support Caring Hearts Pregnancy Center. And that helps young ladies who are pregnant. They encourage them to have the baby. They also, Caring Hearts does much more than that as well. They give out diapers, clothes, different things like that. Uh, Denise has been really good to partner with our church when we have young ladies who have been through domestic violence and different things like that. Uh, before the video, Sean, I just want to mention too that we have baby bottles out in our foyer. And those baby bottles, what they want you to do is take your change and just fill those baby bottles up. And then you can bring them back to the church and we'll take those to Caring Hearts, okay? So if you will direct your attention to the screen, it's about a two-minute video. <clears throat> Created for purpose, a unique genetic blueprint from the moment of conception. DNA woven together to determine gender, eye color, hair color, fearfully and wonderfully made, valued beyond measure. Our culture says life is disposable, her rights matter most, it's not really a baby, and it's all one big choice. But God created us in his own image and whispered, I have called you by name, you are mine. In the United States, abortion is legal throughout the entire pregnancy, totally unrestricted. Most recently, abortion has been boxed up in the form of two little pills and a promise to make it all go away. What will you do to make a difference for life? How can you be a voice? Will you help save a life? There are over 2,700 pregnancy centers in the United States, serving men and women free of charge and full of hope, providing pregnancy tests, life-affirming counsel, abortion recovery, classes, clothing, and diapers. Many centers offer the first glimpse of a woman's baby in the womb, displaying the magnificence of creation and the precious feats of a tiny heart, perfectly formed and fashioned by the one who created them. They serve faithfully, love well, encourage, they are hope dealers. They need volunteers, your prayers, and your financial support. Will you please give generously and help make a difference for life today? Thank you. And if you'll just remain standing there, we want you to pray about that during this time. Also, uh, Donna Purser, if you've seen on social media, she is requesting prayer. She's got a spinal infection, and she has no feeling in her legs, and she's praying for that. She has at least two to four more weeks, I think, uh, being in the hospital before she goes to rehab. I could be wrong on that, but she specifically asked her church to pray for her, and I'm going to ask you to come in a moment and do that. And also, Sandra Presley, who's at Duke Hospital, she's watching this morning. She watches... Uh, every Sunday, we want to say, hey to you, Sandra, and we love you. Kendra sent me this text this morning, and she said, Mom asked me this morning if I could text you and ask for special prayers tomorrow for her bone marrow biopsy and the results two days after that. Pray that the leukemia is in remission. So that's what I'm going to ask you to help us pray for. Also, I had somebody come to me this morning and ask if we would pray for uh, someone in their life that is lost. So as the praise team leads us during this time, if you will, meet me here at this, at this altar. And let's pray for these folks, and let's pray for our nation as well. Thank you very much.
we pray this morning, I want you to remember um, Terry France. Her mom passed away, and she's down in Florida with her family. I want you to remember that family as well. Also, I have a first cousin. They're going to remove life support from him today. I want you to remember the Tig family. And uh, so I want you to remember their family. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, life is so important. Life is precious, and you're the giver of life. And Lord, I, we want to thank you for life. Lord, I pray you'd protect the children, the, un, the unborn from abortion. Lord, as hundreds of thousands walked this past Saturday, Lord, may we stand as your people against murder. And Father, I pray this morning that you'd help us to stand for life. Lord, no matter what stage we are, whether we're unborn or older, younger, Lord, help us to love each other and have respect. Lord, help us to cherish every relationship that we have because life is so short. And Father, this morning we want to pray for those we've mentioned. Pray for Sandra as she's going through her treatments and bless her family. God, meet her needs and all those who are going through difficult times. Father, I pray for Terry and for her family and the loss of her mother. God, I pray you'd comfort them during this time of loss. And Father, for those in our church family who've lost loved ones this past week, I pray we'd be the Kiever family. Continue to bless them and, and encourage them. And Father, I pray you'd be the Tig family. Lord, today they'll see life go. I pray you'd comfort them. For you're a God of all comfort. You love us no matter what we face in life. You're always faithful and you're real. And we thank you for that this morning. Father, would you bless this time of worship? Father, would you help us to worship you in spirit and truth, not in our own strength, but, Lord, in the freedom that Christ gives us? Would you come and just pour out your spirit in a great way? And, Father, may we experience true worship today. Father, would you bless this time? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Thank you very much. If you have your Bibles, stand with me and turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be talking about this morning about our healer. A lot of, lot, lot of things in this verse. As I was reading Luke chapter 4, I thought if Jesus was here today and he came to East Hills of Baptist Church and he was leading the service from the welcome to the end, what would it look like? What would take place during that service? Well, we're going to see today because what you're doing today is almost exactly what they did then. Okay. They met, they, they read scripture, they prayed, someone spoke, they sang, they prayed, and then they went home. So what you're doing today, now listen to me, and I've shared this with you before, what you're doing today is ordained by God until Jesus comes back. It's very important what you're doing today. Meeting with your church family, hearing God's word sung, people praying, and hearing God's word taught. It's very important. Notice what verse 14 says. So when Jesus returned, where did he return from? He is tempted by Satan in the first part of Luke chapter 4. Very important that he was as well. Then he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. And if, there are anybody, if there's anybody that's a preacher, Sunday school teacher, if you're watching online maybe later this week, Look at verse 15 again, and he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. That word all means all without exception. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. You're not going to be glorified by all if you preach the Bible. You're just not. It's not going to last. See, between verse 13 and verse 14, 12 months had passed. Jesus went in the power of the Spirit. He would go into synagogues and teach. He would heal people. Glorified by all. Now notice what happens in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth. He goes back to Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. He goes back to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, or what that word means is as his habit was. Notice what Jesus' habit was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed sovereignly by God the book of the prophet Isaiah. He didn't ask for the book of Isaiah. The chief administrator of the synagogue grabbed the scrolls. And there was a special place in the synagogue and he handed it to Jesus. Jesus opened it up. It was Isaiah's scroll. I'm going to show you a Dead Sea scroll that we have complete today that has the whole book of Isaiah in it, all 66 chapters. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, and this is in chapter 61 of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And when Jesus, look at the word me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus here in a moment says, this is me. Makes a great claim here, a messianic claim. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. All those are gospel terms. All that deals with your spiritual lostness. All that does. And then it says, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes... And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. It was so amazing. We knew he just read it, but he also taught it. And all the eyes of the synagogue were looking at Jesus like in amazement. Now notice, things are still good. And begin to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what he said is this, I'm that guy. Great, bold claim. So all who bore witness to him marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Man, what a great speaker. Then Jesus speaks again, and he says this, And he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do here also in your country. And then he said, As surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And what that really means is this, not that your hometown don't like you, but your hometown can't accept you because you're preaching the truth. That's what that means. Now notice what happens. He tells them this proverb. But I tell you truly, many, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, which was in the region of Sidon, which were the Gentiles, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Jesus is saying. You know what Jesus is saying? Naaman... God was sent to Naaman because God knew Naaman's heart that he would accept him. He was also sent to this one widow, even though she was a Gentile, because the children of Israel wouldn't accept God at that time. And then notice verse 28, because the Jews understood that. Notice verse 28. 
So all, there's that word all again, all without exception, those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath, must be Baptist, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, and they might throw him down a cliff about 400 meters. That's a long drop. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Will you accept or reject the healer today? That is the, that is the decision that you'll make before this service is over. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, we want to thank you for a local church to belong to. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand and preach this morning. Thank you for, uh, Lord, a, a group of people who can meet Sunday after Sunday, year after year, and give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Father, we give you the honor and glory this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before I, I go into the message, I just want to mention that next Sunday we'll be in the sanctuary. I know that there's a lot of COVID cases. There's a lot, probably a lot of COVID cases here. Okay? And that's why it's really... So you make the best decision that you can. The parking lot service may or may not be available next week. The live stream will be available. We're going to try to work that out this week, but we have about six to nine people to baptize. We have several families that are going to join the church next week. If you need to be baptized, please call the church office this week by Wednesday, okay? Because this will probably be the last baptismal service we'll have for a while, uh, just because of how we're set up now. So just want, to, want you to keep that in mind. Also, tonight's Bible study will start at 5 p.m. in the Co-Ed 6 classroom. In this section of the Bible, we see the importance of what we're doing here today. Listen to what we're doing here today. Meeting, singing, praying, reading scripture. Notice how they weren't getting all emotional in the synagogue. I wonder how emotional they got. I bet it was emotional to a person when they heard Jesus read the Bible and preach the Bible. I'm sure when they sang about the Lord, that can be very emotional. But that's not what church necessarily is all about, getting all emotional. It's about reading, singing, praying, teaching, and leaving, and then applying what you learned. Amen? But notice, before we get to this point, the Bible says in verse 13, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus. But wait, until an opportune time came. An opportune time. See, Jesus had been tempted by Satan, as you can read through uh, the first part of chapter 4, over and over again. That word, until an opportune time came, means until in a convenient time. Uh, One pastor put it this way, Satan is not stupid. He will not continually put his limited resources in an ineffective battle. But Jesus will be attacked again. As a matter of fact, in this chapter, he's going to be attacked again. They want to throw him off a cliff. So Satan left Jesus until an opportune time came. But what happened was, one person, Leon Moore, said throughout these temptations, Jesus met the temptation in the same way we must. He used scripture. He relied on the Holy Spirit, and he submitted to the will of God, and he won the victory. And verse 14 says, After that, 12 months later, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. With this renewed vigor, Jesus comes back in the power of the Spirit. John MacArthur put it this way about Jesus returning in the power. He said, And though his human nature was sinlessly perfect, talking about Jesus, it nevertheless did not have supernatural power. Thus Christ performed his miraculous deeds through the Spirit's power. So much so that to attribute his works to Satan is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that in Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. It must be stressed that this in no way limits Christ's full deity and equality with the Father. But in the wonder and mystery of the incarnation, he set aside the independent use of his divine attributes. When you think about that, that makes the first part of chapter 4 all that more amazing. Satan said, I'll give you every kingdom here. It's mine. Jesus used scripture. Lay yourself off this pinnacle. We angels really catch Jesus used scripture. And what Jesus was doing that, he was relying on the Holy Spirit, he was using scripture, but he also said, I must submit in his humanness to the will of God. Adrian Rogers said this, Jesus went face to face with the devil under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus defeated the devil and came out of that temptation experience in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 14 is about. If Jesus overcame the devil as God, then he's no example to me. But if Jesus overcame the devil as a man filled with the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was available to Jesus is available to me. To be filled with the Spirit means it's to be controlled by the Spirit, willingly used by Him, and submitting to the Lord's will through the Spirit. So there's about three or four things I want you to see this morning. The first one is this. It's the synagogue. Jesus goes into the synagogue, it says, as was His custom. Notice this picture. This is an actual picture uh, this is an illustration of in the ESV Study Bible, which I'd encourage everyone to own one. 
Okay? And what this is, is an actual, in Jesus' day, they, they've excavated one synagogue, parts of it. And it was in Gamla, which was about, I think, six miles um, northeast of the Sea of Galilee. I could be wrong on that. And this lasted until about uh, 67 AD. That's when the Romans tore down the temple and they tore this down. But they've been able to ex excavate this. And if you'll notice here, if I can get this to point out, right here you have places where people could sit. You had a pulpit area here, which you can't see. They had the chief seats where the special people sat. You had the seat of Moses. Remember, Jesus talked about that later in the Gospels. He says, don't desire these seats. You had the seat of Moses where the leaders sat. You had the chief seats. where, the, If you were important in Nazareth, that's where you sat. The common people sat right down here. You got to sit on the floor. If you are just average Joe like us, you sat on the floor. Women, you had to sit somewhere else. Yep, just the way it was. Then you had a guy that you had scrolls put over here. See, there's the scrolls. Now notice this. This is very strange. There's a mikvah. That's a place of water. All right? Now, what's interesting about this, see, we think baptism comes from Christian belief. It starts out with Jewish thought. This mikvah, if you want to go, want to go in here, now listen to how their church services went. Every person that went to church that morning had to immerse themselves in front of an attendant in this mikvah right here, a body of water. You had to immerse your whole body in the mikvah because they called this the mother's womb, when you came out, you were born again. That's where that word comes from. It didn't come from John 3. Jesus is using a Jewish term when he talks to Nicodemus, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Every person. So if Jamie Steele wanted to go to the synagogue that morning, this is what I'd have to do. Y'all hearing me? This is where baptism comes from. I would have to take off all my clothes, literally. Jews do it today. And immerse myself in front of an attendant in this, and he would make sure every part of my body was immersed. Okay? Because what you're saying is, I'm dying to myself and I come up out of the mother's womb, born again. Every woman had to take off every article of clothing, jewelry, everything. Now listen, and you'd have to baptize yourself in front of a female attendant, and she would look to make sure all your, all your hair went underwater. Uh, before you went into the waters, they'd make sure you had no hair, no dirt on you. A lot of times today, what Jews will do is they'll have to brush their teeth, They'll have to bathe. They'll have to shower in these places. And then you go in here. Excuse me, I don't want to fall off here. And then you would take off all your clothes. You'd be born again, so to speak. Then you'd go in here and you're ready to hear God's word. That's what happens. When Jesus stood before Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, We know that you're a good teacher come from God. You know what Jesus says? You must be born again. Now listen to what Nicodemus says. How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. What's he talking about there? This. That's what the mother's womb means. He's saying, and what he's saying is this. See, Jesus is basically saying, you've never been born again. He says, yeah, I have. I'm an old man. I'm an old man. How can I go back into that a second time? Even though they were, they were, they were basically baptized themselves every time they went into the synagogue, when you first baptized yourself, you basically identified yourself as Jew. If I was a, a Gentile and I wanted to be a Jewish convert, even today, before a priest, I have to be baptized, baptize myself in front of a priest, in, or not in front of a priest, but in front of a rabbi, uh, in this pool of water. Now listen, Nicodemus says, he says this, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And from his Jewish perspective, Nicodemus essentially asks, How can I convert to Judaism if I'm already a Jew? Makes a good question. And then Jesus says this, A man must be born of water and the Spirit. And he was explaining to Nicodemus that we Jewishness or any other religion to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a conversion of our spiritual condition was necessary for salvation. Okay, what he's saying is this, This doesn't save you at all, Nicodemus. You can do it all you want to. Y'all made it up, but it doesn't save you at all. This does not save you. When Jesus rose from the dead, he told his disciples, Go into all the nations, make disciples, baptize them once in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul told Timothy, there's one Lord, one mediator, and one baptism. Aren't you think we, you don't got to get baptized every Sunday to come to church? Aren't you think we don't have to get naked to get baptized? 
Any of you guys, if you start taking off your clothes next week, I'm going to Walmart. I'm out of here, all right? I'm gone. I'm leaving you, and I'm just gone, okay? In the synagogue, this is how religious it was. You would have a mikvah, be baptized, go in here, and then this is what would happen. On the Sabbath, which was Saturday for them, the service would often begin with the singing of Psalms 145 through 150. Then the Shema would be recited. That's where when James says that you believe there's a God, well, the devils also believe that. This is what they would recite. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This was followed by a time of prayer like we just did. Then a passage would be read from one of the five books of the Bible. Then a time of praise, singing. Then more prayer. Followed that, an older man or a visitor, which Jesus was at this time, would be invited to read from one of the prophets, then preach from the text as it was read. People could ask questions. At the end, there would be more praising and more prayer, kept off by a benediction, which was this, Numbers 6.24, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So when you read this in verse 15, he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. That's what happened in Jesus' day. And then we have another interesting fact about this is the book. Notice what verse 16 says. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book, which meant a scroll. Notice on the picture. Notice this picture on the screen. This is an actual Dead Sea scroll. And this is chapter 61 that Jesus read. All right, this is an actual scroll of Isaiah chapter 62, 63, 64, 65, and then 66. You'd read from, from right to left, and what Jesus did was he took this scroll that was handed to him and rolled it out. All right? Isn't it amazing how God's Word has been preserved? And then the Bible says this, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Look at that in verse 17, the word written. The word written is very important. The word written means it has been used three times in Luke, chapter 4 up to this point. It's in the perfect tense, passive voice, indicating that it has been written down at some time in the past, and it has, been, it has stood written, or remained written, which means this. There is no human books which will remain written in the sense of eternal existence of the Word of God. And when, when, the, when Luke writes this, okay, who was a doctor, it says when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. What he wanted to do in the Greek is say this. This is God's eternal word. Jesus read out of the scroll, and what he was wanting the people to understand is this is God's eternal word, the place where it was written. And notice verse 15. This is what Jesus did in all their synagogues, and he looked the word taught. Look at that word for teach or taught. In the Greek, John MacArthur put it this way. It's, it's, the Greek word is didasko. He says, in various forms, the root meaning carries with it the idea of systematic teaching or systematic training. It is the word that is used to refer to a choir director who trains a choir over a long period of rehearsals until they're able to perform it. You're trying to take people from point A to point B using the word that is eternal and written. I would tell anybody watching online, do not ever go to a church where they don't open the Bible. What are you doing? What are you doing? What else are you going to preach? And see, what according to what that word teach, it meant that Jesus took the Spirit of the Lord as a poem, and he talked about these verses in, 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 in line, and he talked about what they meant. MacArthur goes on to say this, The gift of prophecy could be a one-time proclamation of Christ. The gift of teaching is a systematic training, taking a person from point A to point B. What is the curriculum for the teacher? The Bible is the Word of God. Jesus was always called a teacher. Why do you use the word that is written? Because this is the only book in the world that can impart life to dead sinners. Peter put it this way. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. I heard John MacArthur one time say he's preaching through 1 John. All right, And in 1 John, one of, the, one of the points John tries to make is this. If you continue sinning and you practice sinning and your life has never changed in this sin as God defines it, okay? He says, how can you say you're a Christian? Then he'd say this, and we looked at this Wednesday night. How can you say you, you hate your brother and love God? You can't do it, is what John says. And then John would say this, Jesus Christ who rose from the dead is God. And John MacArthur was talking about the power of the word, and he said, he said a man wrote him a letter. He was a Jehovah's Witness. Some of the hardest people to reach were Jehovah's Witnesses. 
And he said, that man listened. He was just trying to find something to listen to. He was a businessman. And he heard John MacArthur preach that Jesus was God because they don't believe that, right? And he said, you know what? Tomorrow, he said he's going to be on tomorrow, so I'm going to listen to him again. For three weeks, he listened to John MacArthur. If you ever heard John MacArthur, it takes three weeks for John MacArthur to get through. That's every day of preaching, right? To get through five verses, John MacArthur preaches that way. And then the man wrote John MacArthur, and he said this, through the systematic teaching of the Word of God, which Jesus just did here, he said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. How did that happen? Through the, through the Word of God, because it imparts life to dead sinners. Also, it convicts. God's Word convicts. As we see here in this chapter, God's Word convicted these people of their lost nature. Now, that word convicts means it causes to see. See, the first time I went to Millersville Baptist Church with my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, and Larry Blakely preached, he caused me to see that I was lost. Did I respond that day in faith? No, I didn't. Was I under conviction the rest of my life up until I got saved? Yes, I was. Because I sat under the preaching for really, as a teenager, where I could really understand. I was, no, I wasn't a teenager, I was 20. I was 20 at the time. And he preached the gospel. And I sat on this side of Millersville Baptist Church, and I was under great conviction because God's word, through a person preaching, caused me to see. The problem in America today is preachers don't preach the word and nobody's being caused to see. Everybody claims they're a Christian. God's word imparts life into dead sinners and also God's word causes us to see. I have a, a pastor friend who told me that he had been baptized three times. Three times by the time he was 22. I said, oh really? He goes, yeah man, I just kept... Then he said, you know what happened? He said, I started listening to this preacher on the radio, John MacArthur. Preaching through 1 John, God is my witness. And he says, you know what I did? For the first time in my life, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. Because God's word caused me to see. All these other times, I might have got, went forward because of my friend. I got emotional. That's why I try not to get you emotional. If God's word doesn't impart life into you, what can I? I can get people to do a lot of things through the persuasion of speech. But I can't impart life into dead sinners. We're going to see it in just a moment how important this is. See, that's why Jesus read the scroll of Isaiah, whether people liked him or not. In, in verse 14 and 15, all were glorifying him, praising him. And then Jesus said, that's not what I came here to do. I came here to speak the truth in love because God's word imparts life into dead sinners and God's word causes us to see. See, that's why when you tell me, hey, will you go to so-and-so and speak to my loved one? And I'll say, what do you want me to speak to them about? They're lost. And I'll say this, oh yeah, I will. But understand they may hate me when I leave because I'm going to speak the truth in love and hopefully when you share God's word it will cause them to see and sometimes people get saved and sometimes people get very angry now I've never been driven to the edge of a cliff some people probably wanted to at times but I will speak the truth in love if somebody wants me to share the gospel right? because God's word will impart life into dead sinners only God's word can do that and also God's word is the only thing on the planet that can convict. That's why Mac Brunson said this. Life and death and eternity and worlds unknown, unknown may hang on the preaching and hearing of one sermon. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important. What an awesome responsibility to all the preachers. The Bible will change you. God compares His Word, that Word that's written that Jesus picked up that scroll, he compares it to a, a hammer, a sword, and a scalpel, and other things, tools. And it's also compared to food. God calls his word milk, water, bread, and meat. No other books can say, I read, I've read last year 12 books. Maybe, no, maybe 14 books, actually, that weren't Christian-related. I read a bunch of Christian-related books. None of, them, none of them imparted life into me, convicted me, or gave me great joy, right? This book does every time I open it. Because it is living and active, sharpening any two-edged sword. That's why every Sunday school teacher here, if you're not teaching God's Word, we're going to ask you to step down. Thankfully, we don't ever have to do that because you teach God's Word. That's why if anybody ever is invited to this church and they don't use the Bible, we'll not ask them back. Because what else, are, what else are we here for? The very thing that Jesus did every time he went to the synagogue is something we should do every time we meet together. Paul told Timothy this. He said, listen, young man, you're in Ephesus. Till I come again. He's, he's, like, he, he's like he's speaking forcefully into Timothy's life. He says, give attention to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. And he's talking about the Word. So I don't care if they, if they get mad and leave. It does not matter. 
you speak the truth in love, you love them anyway, but you speak the truth. Now notice, the Bible says that Jesus was praised over here. On down in, the, in the, this chapter, it says he was praised, and that word means this, especially in verse 15. It means he was glorified. And God is usually glorified for his miracles. Jesus was glorified up to this point for his teaching. It's the same word the Roman centurion said at Calvary after the earthquake and all the supernatural events. He looked up and said, surely this must be the Son of God. And they were glorifying God. Same word used about Jesus while he was teaching. It's amazing. And then Jesus comes down to this. See, and I would say this, it does not last. Why? Because Jesus will teach and preach the truth, and a lost man cannot understand spiritual things. The gospel and the truth will make you mad, or it will make you right. Every time. Notice the third thing here is the gospel. Jesus said in verse 18, The Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. All these are spiritual terms. It's not talking about a person without money. The word picture in, in the Greek or the Hebrew actually is this. A person who is so destitute. Now listen, that word poor means a person that is so destitute that they're holding out uh, their hand with their hand over their face because they're in such shame because they're so poor. You ever seen somebody like that? When I went to Haiti, I saw a lot of it. See, I saw, when I went to Haiti, when, when Mark and I went to the Philippines, you see true poverty. That people have absolutely no help. The government's not going to help them unless you give them a coin or food. Rarely do I see that here. Even though there is, there is poverty here, don't get me wrong. But there is nothing like I saw in Haiti. I remember, I remember a, a Haitian man was out on the streets. Don't give them nothing. You can't. If you're a white American, do not do it. They'll rush you. And I said, that guy has nothing. He says, oh, you don't understand. He has nothing unless somebody gives him something. That's what the word poor means. See, when I got saved, my heart before Jesus, I ain't got nothing. I'm so spiritually poor that if you don't help me, spiritually speaking, I will die and go to hell. That's what that word means. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, which means this, I can't mend myself. My heart is so broken over my condition that I cannot fix myself. I can't do it. You cannot change your heart. You cannot change your nature. There's a lot of things in your life you can change, but you can't change the internal part of who you are. You can't do it. Only God can change your nature. And that's what Jesus said. He's also proclaimed liberty to the captives. That means people that are enslaved. Back in those days, the Jews would understand that, right? The Egyptians and all these other people, the Babylonians. It means to be held by a spear. And, and what Jesus would say is this, basically. And Paul would say it too. He who sins is a slave to sin. And Jesus says this, Only I can set you free from being a slave to sin. You're a captive. And then he says this, In recovery of sight to the blind. I once was lost, but now I see. You know what Jesus told Agrippa, or Paul told Agrippa when he stood before him? God has literally, and, and I'll paraphrase, opened my eyes. For the first time, I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. And all the moms and dads who want your children to get saved, you can't give sight to your kids. can't do it. You cannot impart faith into your kids. When we saw the mikvah up there, each person had to make a conscious decision as a Jewish person to get nude and dunk themselves. Okay? And when you're baptized today in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or next week, you make a conscious decision to allow somebody else to baptize you. All right? And then it says here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that, what that word means, it was a year of Jubilee, which that, and the Jews understand that that meant this, that all your debts are cleared. All your debts are cleared. And Jesus says this, and they close the book and, and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he said this, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They were waiting on this. Isaiah wrote that 700 years before, and Jesus says, today's the day. And then, notice the rejection. I'll go really quickly. Notice the rejection. Spurgeon said, I learned from this incident in our Lord's life that it is not the preacher's business to seek to please the congregation, just to preach the truth. Jesus shares a proverb about himself, and he says this, You, surely, you will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do here in your country. And then he said, as assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was great famine throughout all the land. But to none was them sent, none of them was 
Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, and she was a Gentile. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And basically what the, this Jesus is saying is this. One scholar says, By mentioning the Gentile widow to whom Elijah was sent, to the exclusion of the Jewish widows, everybody understood that. All these Jewish widows, and God said, Don't go to them. Go to this Gentile widow and give her food. And the healing of the Syrian leper by Elijah, to the exclusion of the Jewish lepers, Jesus was hinting that what the Jews reject, the Gentiles will accept. And what Jesus was saying is this, You're glorifying me, for what I say, but not for what the Word says. You're glorifying me for how I speak it, but not for what I speak. And Jesus, who knew all men, was basically saying, you're all lost. All of Nazareth is lost, and eventually we're going to the Gentiles and they'll be saved. Speaking the truth. What if Jesus stood before you today and spoke the truth about your life? You would either humble yourselves before him and repent, or you'd get mad at him. And when Jesus shared this proverb, the Bible says this, if you'll notice on the screen, verse 28 and 29, it says, So all those, all without exception, in the synagogue, who had just been baptized, naked, by the way, prayed, read scripture, heard a sermon, glorified God because of it, all who were innocent were filled with wrath, and that's the only time in Luke's gospel this word is meant. It means to be furious to the point, really, that your eyes are bulging out. You're foaming at the mouth. You ever been that mad? Because of what Jesus said. They're foaming at the mouth all right, and rose up to thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill in which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Look at that word, throw him down over the cliff. That was used, only time that word is ever used or that thought process is ever used is in Second Chronicles when the sons of Judah were fighting the Edomites. And the second chronicle says this, The sons of Judah also captured 10,000 alive and brought them to the top of the cliff there and threw them down from the top of the cliff so that they were all dashed into pieces. They just wanted to kill Jesus and dash him into pieces. Wow. Isn't that amazing? What a day at church. We have a guy come in that everybody's glorifying and power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody sovereignly, through God's grace, hands him a scroll. He opens it up. Jesus reads... Uh, Isaiah 61, verses, I think, 1 through 2. Then he skips down to Isaiah 58.3, or Isaiah 58, uh, verse 6, where he says this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And what that word means is it's, you're welcome to accept this or not. And the people stood up, and that was their reaction to Jesus. What is your reaction to Jesus this morning? I'm going to ask you to stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come. And I will say this, you can be religious but lost. Do you submit yourself to Jesus as Lord? You can read the Bible, you can hear the Bible preached, you can pray, you can sing, you can thank the preacher and still be hopelessly and helplessly lost. Are you poor in spirit this morning? Blessed are the poor, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Are you brokenhearted this morning? God said through the psalmist, a broken and contrite heart God will not turn away. Or are you proud and arrogant in your righteousness? You can't save yourself through good works. The Jews tried. So does every other religion. Dustin forbids loving their neighbors, seeking renewal in their community, and fighting for the oppressed without the righteousness of Christ, meaning without being saved, will suffer the Lord's judgment in eternal hell, you must be born again. You must be born again. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? He died in your place, bore God's wrath on your behalf, and I would encourage you to trust Him today. As Sharon leads us in the song, this altar is open if you want to come, or I would invite you to pray and ask Christ into your heart where you sit.
quick, Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you that our, the word that we have is written. Lord, it imparts life to dead sinners. And if there's anyone in here today who is spiritually dead, Father, I pray that they would receive a resurrection. God, only you can open the eyes of the blind. Only you can save. No one can save Jesus as Lord except through the Holy Spirit. And Father, if there's anyone here today that is in that place, I pray that before the sun sets today, that they would place their faith and trust in you, that they would realize, come to you broken and poor in spirit, and Lord, you would save them. Father, we want to thank you that we belong to a church where the Sunday school teachers teach the Word of God, where the preachers preach the Word of God, Lord, where the choir and the praise team sings the Word of God, and Lord, when it's prayer time, Lord, we pray the Word of God. So, Father, we're so thankful and indebted to your Word. We love you today, Lord. We have the good news to share with the lost and dying world. And help us to be bold and courageous in doing that. Help us to speak the truth in love. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed and hope to see you back here tonight at 5 p.m.